Lord Jesus, you have done a lot for us, and we ask that you would use your word to help us be grateful and in our gratitude to live a life like you led yours. We pray this in your name. Amen. A couple of months ago, my six-year-old daughter came home from school, and she showed us a story that she'd written for Martin Luther King Day, and it was titled, I Have a Dream. And it said, my dream is that everyone would love each other and get along. And we said, oh, what a, what a nice story, Holly. And she said, yeah, but that's not my real dream. My real dream is that I'd be a princess and everyone would have to do what I say. So I, I wonder if people who don't believe in sin have children, right? But I know where she got it from. She got it from me. And it is a great example of the culture of entitlement that we all live in, where we often feel like we're entitled to a lot of things, that we're sort of princesses or princes, and that everyone else is just there to provide stuff for us. We are continuing a series of sermons called Counterculture. How do we live counter to the culture around us in refreshing ways? You know, one of the reasons that Christianity grew faster than any other religion in history is because the early Christians were so counterculture. They did things like care for the poor, take care of plague victims, even at the risk of their own lives. They had joy even when they were facing persecution. And as a result, people flocked to Jesus, even though being a Christian could get you killed. How can we live that kind of life, that kind of counterculture life that gives us that much joy individually and that shows Jesus to the rest of the world? And certainly one of the ways that we as Christians could do that and be a breath of fresh air in our culture is to refuse to buy into the culture of entitlement that is all around us. It is everywhere, isn't it? I mean, just watch people race toward the one available parking spot as if it were marked reserved, especially for them. Right? We sort of feel entitled to it. This weekend, my parents were visiting, and a lot of times when they come, my mom brings chocolate chip cookies. But she didn't do it this time, and so my son asked, Where are the cookies? And what's embarrassing is I kind of had the same thought myself. (laughs) Only I was smart enough not to say it out loud, right? I felt entitled. My son felt entitled. I love the scene in a Charlie Brown Christmas show where Sally is writing a letter to Santa, listing all the things she wants. And finally she says, if it's easier, just send money. Right? Tens and twenties would do. And Charlie Brown walks off in disgust and she says, what? All I want is my fair share. All I want is what I have coming to me. That could be the motto for our culture, couldn't it? I exist, therefore I deserve. And that sense of entitlement creates a lot of problems. A lot of problems in schools and businesses and even churches where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work and those 20% get burned out and feel used. It's a problem in friendships and in marriages as we start to have inflated expectations of what the other person should do for us. And of course, they have expectations of what we should do for them. And pretty soon, everybody's mad at everybody. And it can be a problem in our faith if we start to believe that God owes us something. You know, that it's, that it's not enough that he came himself in the person of Jesus and died for us so we could be reconciled to him. But he also owes us. He owes us a a good job, a good car, a great retirement, all that stuff. I remember once being on vacation and praying for good weather so I could enjoy the beach. 
Now, my theology got better after that, but... Now, I want to be clear. Yes, God cares about every aspect of our life, and He wants us to talk about every aspect of our life with Him in a relationship. But in that moment, I wasn't viewing God as someone I had a relationship with. I was viewing Him as a vending machine to meet my sense of entitlement. That sense of entitlement causes a lot of problems. And the result for us is a lot of stress as we keep grabbing on to what we think we deserve. Broken relationships as we sort of step over each other to get it. And feelings of disappointment, envy, and bitterness because sometimes we feel like we're not getting what is owed to us. But in the passage we just read, the Apostle Paul tells us some really good news. That if we know Jesus, and if His Holy Spirit is living inside of us, then we can imitate Jesus and be like Him. And when we do that, Jesus provides an antidote to our culture of entitlement and all the pain it causes. And the first antidote is this. Jesus empowers us to get our eyes off of ourselves and look to the needs of others, which brings us joy. Paul says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, before I go further, let me say what that passage does not mean. That passage does not mean that to value others more than ourselves doesn't mean we put ourselves down. It doesn't mean we're so focused on serving that we neglect our own needs. What Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to imitate Jesus. And Jesus, if you look in Scripture, he always took care of his own social, emotional, and spiritual and physical needs. And we should too. But if Jesus is our model, Jesus also looked to other people's needs as well. And if we do that, if we imitate Jesus in that regard, we'll have more joy. Because that gets us out of ourselves, and there is no freedom like freedom from self. You know what finally got me over the pain of my divorce? Wasn't time, it wasn't getting a new job or anything like that. What got me out of that pain finally was when through a series of coincidences that can only be described as God, I got the chance to lead a Bible study for college guys as a volunteer. And that got me out of myself And that gave me joy. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and serve others, we just feel better. Second antidote to our culture of entitlement is to be willing from time to time to set aside our rights. You know, we are a culture that is obsessed with our rights. I looked the word rights up on the internet. And you'd be amazed how many rights there are. All kinds of consumer rights, student rights, property rights, digital rights. Digital rights. That one came up over and over and over again. I have no idea what digital rights are. But someone's awfully worried about them. I even found the Universal Declaration of Pets rights. That's right. Fido has ten universal rights. And don't you go taking them away. Now, I am glad that we live in a country where our rights are protected. That's a good thing. But sometimes I think that can become unhealthy if we get focused on standing up for our rights personally all the time. And you see it in some of the silly lawsuits you hear about, right? People just so adamant about their rights. You get all these weird lawsuits. I read about one just a little while ago about a psychic in the Bay Area who was suing her doctor for a million dollars because he gave her a CAT scan and she said that impaired her psychic abilities. Okay, she's a psychic. Shouldn't she have seen that coming? Right? Sounds like there's a problem before the CAT scan. 
We are tearing ourselves apart as a country and individually by constantly grabbing onto our right. That's my right. It's my right. Don't take it away. But again, Jesus gives us an alternative. Paul says that if we get to know Jesus, the more we know him, the more we follow him, the more we can imitate him. His spirit gives us power to be like him and have his attitude. And even though he was God, he set all of that aside and became a servant, became a human and a servant in order to serve us, was even willing to die for us. And with his spirit, we can imitate him and lay aside our rights from time to time. And the reason we can do that is because we know he's going to take care of us. If he's already done all of that for us, isn't he going to keep taking care of us? And even if bad things happen, isn't he going to use them for good? Which gives us the confidence from time to time to set aside our rights. Now, I'm not saying that we should be doormats and let people walk all over us, you know. I'm a Christian, therefore I'm a wimp. Step on me. No, I don't think that's a good witness. I don't think that's what God would have us do. And there are times when we need to defend what's right, if not for our own sake, then for someone else's. And a lot of times that's appropriate. But sometimes when we're just fighting for our rights, really, if we were just to be honest, we're just being selfish. Or we're just trying to get revenge. And that's tearing us up inside and that robs us of joy. Question is, what's in our heart? What's our motivation? What's it doing to us on the inside? I know a woman who was suing her dentist for some mistakes that he'd made. And as a result, she had to have her jaw wired shut for months and was awful. But the lawsuit was making her and her husband bitter and angry and resentful. And the night before they were supposed to go to court, they were praying about it. And as they prayed, they began to realize that the lawsuit was doing more damage to them than the dentist had. And that the dentist hadn't really been negligent. He'd never made a mistake like that in years and years of practice. It was an honest mistake. He'd probably never do it again. And Jesus was going to take care of them. And they started to understand that, and so they went to court the next morning and dropped the suit for their own sake. Now, in some cases, it may have been right to pursue it, but in that case, it was just eating them up inside. And because they knew that Jesus would take care of them, they could let it go. He was their defender, and that gave them more joy than hanging on. Get our eyes off ourselves and serve others. Be willing to set aside our rights. And the third antidote that this passage tells us to the culture of entitlement and the pain it causes is to be a servant. Jesus was a servant. You know, at one point he even washed his disciples' feet. And when we imitate him and serve, again, we just have more joy. Think, for instance, how happy our marriages would be if husbands and wives constantly were competing to outserve each other. Think of how joyful our marriages would be. Here, let me serve you. No, let me serve you. No, let me... If you got into fights about trying to serve each other, right? How fun marriage would be if both parties did that. How fun friendships, how fun church, how fun everything would be. We'd all be happier. Personally, I think one of the benefits of the capital campaign we'll be doing later is it gives us a chance to serve. Serve children in this church, kids in our community, and kids in Africa. And I believe, contrary to what our culture tells us, that is a path to joy. Think about others. Be willing to lay down our rights from time to time. Be a servant. And if all of us lived that kind of counterculture life, all 3,000 of us, can you imagine what that would do for the reputation of Jesus on the east side? Paul says that when we live like this, we shine like stars in a crooked generation. Eugene Peterson translates those same verses this way. He says, go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted culture. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. If we live this way, 
We would be a breath of fresh air in a culture that is choked with rights and people trying to get what they think they deserve. And we'd have more joy. You know, I know some of you right now may be thinking, oh, I hate it when he talks like this. You know, serve, lay down your rights. Yuck. I don't want to hear it. Tell it to the hand, right? That sounds terrible. But look at how this passage ends. Paul says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. In other words, Paul's saying, yeah, I'm doing all this serving, laying down my rights kind of stuff, but you know what? I have more joy because of it. It's one of those paradoxes of the Christian life. The more you give, the more you get. You can see it in how this passage describes Jesus' downward mobility. Right? Jesus was God, but he emptied himself and became a servant and was obedient even to death, even to death on a cross. I mean, with every line, you hear Jesus just sinking lower and lower, all the way from heaven to the grave. But then halfway through, Paul changes the tone of that passage with a very important word. Therefore, he says. And remember, wherever there's a therefore, find out what it's there for, right? One of the most important words in Scripture is therefore. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It was by going down that Jesus was raised up. And Paul is getting at a profound paradox in the Christian life. And it is the most frequent promise Jesus makes more than any other promise. If you lose your life, you'll find it. What really brings us joy, contrary to our culture, isn't getting everything we want. That just makes us want more. What brings us joy is getting out of ourselves and serving others. One of my favorite people in this church is Colin Bennett. He's 16 years old. He's a great guy. Kind of a hero of mine. Says he wants to be a pastor someday. In fact, says he wants to be senior pastor of this church someday. So he's after my job. But I got time. He's only 16. And he and his parents gave me permission to share something that happened with them a while back. Colin was at a school sports event. And this other student started kind of harassing him. Started stealing some of Colin's stuff. And Colin kept trying to get it back. Kept trying to get the kid calmed down. But this kid just got more hostile started cussing at Colin, ended up punching Colin in the stomach. And finally, another student came along, got things calmed down. Well, in the days after that, Colin and his, pressure got a lot of, or Colin and his parents got a lot of pressure from, from uh, teachers and counselors and whatnot to press charges against this kid. Because apparently this kid had a history of anger and of acting out, and so the counselors and teachers wanted them to press charges. And even the other kids were saying to Colin, press charges. But Colin and his family didn't want to do that. Colin kept saying, I don't want to press charges. That doesn't seem like Jesus. But I don't want to do nothing either. That doesn't seem good. This kid might just keep doing it. He said, I just want to get him some help. Isn't there a third alternative? So they started praying about it. And they got some advice from Frederick, who works here at Eastside Academy, our school for at-risk kids. And they came up with a third alternative. They decided that Colin's mom would call this kid's mom, and they would just talk mother to mother, but that would be the least confrontational thing to do. So the two moms got together, and Colin's mom said, look, here's the deal. We don't want to press charges, but we know your son has a history of doing this, and so we want to find some way to help him, not to punish him. They talked some more, and turns out this kid's dad was uh, physically and verbally abusive and then left the family, so this poor mom was dealing with a lot of stuff. And they talked some more, and she said to Colin's mom, you know what, you are the first person to offer to help. 
Everyone else has been mean and judgmental, and my son feels like nobody cares about him except for me. They kept talking some more, and Colin's mom happened to mention that she goes to church. At which point the other mom said, church? Well, no offense, but I've had some bad experiences with church people. I've had a lot of experiences with them being mean and judgmental and hypocritical. And Colin's mom said, yeah, I can understand that. Sometimes that happens, but you know what? We're trying to be different than that. So they came up with a plan. Colin and his parents wouldn't press charges if this kid would agree to meet with Frederick here at Eastside Academy for 10 times and write an apology and read it to Colin. So the mom brought the kid here to Eastside Academy, and when he saw it was in a church, he was like, no way, I'm not going in. But eventually got him in, and he talked with Frederick. And last Monday, they all got together, Colin, his parents, this kid, and Frederick. When the kid walked in, Colin's mom stood up and said, you know what, what I really want to do is just give you a hug. So she did. And when the kid saw Colin, he said, you know what, dude, I'm sorry. That's a quote. I don't talk like that myself. And then he read his apology, and Colin said, you know what, I forgive you, and don't worry about it, we all make mistakes. And then they shook hands. Throughout this whole meeting, this kid kept saying, thank you for doing it this way. Thank you for not pressing charges. Now, it's still in process. We don't ultimately know how it's going to end, but you know what, good for everyone in this story. Good for this kid and his mom for being willing to engage in this process. That couldn't have been easy. And I think Colin is a great example of what it means to be a man and what Paul is talking about in this passage. Because in spite of all the pressure on him to stick up for his rights, I mean, even the kids were saying, press charges. Colin and his family didn't do that. But they didn't roll over and play dead either. They showed grace and strength. The two can go together, you know. And they weren't focused on just their own needs. They were also focused on helping this kid, and they found a way to serve him and his mom. And as a result, this kid's mom, who had all those bad experiences with church, now she's talking about God and asking for prayer, and Colin's mom and this mom have become kind of friends. They lived counter to culture, the culture of rights and entitlement, in a refreshing way that points to Jesus. And it's been better for Colin and his family, too. They emailed me this week, and they said, it's been so much more rewarding to channel our energies into helping rather than pressing charges. They said, we can only imagine how drained we'd be if we'd gone that route. Instead, we have felt the Holy Spirit every step of the way. You know, it took less time, it took less money, and they got the joy of seeing God work. Contrary to what our culture tells us, it's by laying down our rights and thinking of others that we find joy. And the reason we can do that is because of Jesus, because of all that he has done for us. When he could have prosecuted us, when he could have pressed charges... He didn't. Instead, he laid down his rights and he died to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he gives us the power to lead new lives. And it's in gratitude for that. When we realize everything that he's done, our only response can be gratitude. And it's in gratitude for what he's done. And it's out of the power that his Holy Spirit gives us that we can then imitate him and serve others and be a breath of fresh air in our world. So how can you live counter to the culture of entitlement this week so that you can have more joy and so that others can see Jesus in you. Maybe it's as simple as just letting someone in on the freeway when they're trying to merge. Or maybe it's signing up to help with a capital campaign so you can do some service and get to know some people along the way. Maybe it's how you treat your kids or your spouse. Whatever it is, as ironic and paradoxical as it may seem, the way up is down. The way to greatness is through being a servant. And to find your life, you've got to give it away.
Lord Jesus, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you that you set aside your rights for us. And Lord, we pray that we would, you would help us understand the magnitude of what you've done for us. And then, Lord, give us a response of gratitude and praise. And out of that, imitate you and follow you in everything we do. Please do this and we will be grateful people. We ask this in your name. Amen.